Dr. Paul, welcome to With the Wind, Science Revealed. Today's show, we interview Mary Holland, lawyer who was faculty at New York University School of Law for 17 years and is now president and general counsel for Children's Health Defense. She has co-authored or co-edited several important books, including HPV on Trial, Vaccine Epidemic, and Turtles All the Way Down. I have all those books and have read them. They are powerful. Didi interviews her about the experience at Children's Health Defense Conference in Savannah, Georgia, and of course wraps it up with From the Soul. Dr. Paul, coming to you from the heart. I'm feeling called just to share a little bit about fear and prayer. You know, can we live confidently no matter what's happening? I sometimes stumble and find myself getting a little fearful. And then I'm reminded, prayer doesn't have to be this one moment in time where I maybe get on my knees, not, not that there's anything wrong with any style of prayer. But prayer, when it's an openness, a listening, a connecting, and an asking, a trust in God, a trust in your Lord, in the higher power, in love, in spirit, whatever you use to connect. And when you have that trust and it's a dialogue and you're open, it can be a living, powerful force in our lives. And when you're in that faith space, I found fear just disappears. Our world is giving us endless opportunities to connect and to stay in a place of love. That's what I wish for all of us. Hey everybody, it's me, Dee Dee, and I am here with the Mary Holland from CHGTV. And you all know that our show is on CHGTV, and so some of you that are watching this watch us on CHGTV, or they watch it through when we send it out or on doctorsandscience.com. But we just did the conference Rise and Resist, and Dr. Paul and I spoke at it, and Doc also spoke on his own about what's happened to him. And many of you know that we travel and we're part of this amazing freedom groups, medical freedom against medical tyranny. And Dr. Paul and I both have this passion for preventing harm and increasing children's health and wellness and vaccine. What's happening with vaccines is something that we talk about and we're passionate about. Well, CHD does that and so much more. So we decided I should just come on. This is live. I'm in Alabama, so the background's a little different. But I just invited Mary to come and talk to me and talk about. So my first question is, first, if you could explain just briefly for those that are on our show, and I've heard about people who've watched Doc's show on CHD, but they don't even really know about how CHD came in into reality, how it got started, and what your position is. So if you could explain that, that'd be great. Sure. Happy to. Pleased to be here. Children's Health Defense took over from a group called the World Mercury Project. It was started in 2007, and it was really focused on mercury and very laser focused on cimarosol, mercury-containing um, adjuvant that was used in vaccines pervasively. It's now used in trace and they made the film Trace Amounts, which is a great film. Bobby Kennedy, uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. got on the board of World Mercury Project and helped to promote the film Trace Amounts. 
And then basically that organization, Bobby became the chair of that organization. And then we changed the name to Children's Health Defense. So I came onto the board of Children's Health Defense in 2018. I'm a lawyer by profession. And then I came onto the staff at Children's Health Defense in 2019 as the general counsel. And then in 2021, I became the president and general counsel. And then this year, I took a leave of absence to work on Bobby Kennedy's political campaign, but then came back and I come back just as president and we have an acting general counsel for which I'm very grateful. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. So that's your role now. Is that something that you plan to continue? Do you, is this something? So I guess the next question is, what's your personal involvement? Like why even in the beginning, why did you come on? What what happens personally in your lives? Yes, I came from a very medical family. Both my parents were physicians. I considered going into medicine. Two uncles were doctors, blah, blah, blah. I have a 26-year-old son, and he was vaccine injured. So that's what got me involved. And, you know, first I focused on, of course, biomedical interventions. And then I realized, oh, my God, this has happened to every planet virtually. Uh, the only way we're going to change this is to do it collectively. And so I got very involved in advocacy and worked in a variety of different groups, Autism One, went to Dan to feed Autism Now meetings and got to know many of the people that you and I both know in the medical and legal side. And uh, then when I had the opportunity to come to Children's Health Defense and do this as, a, as my work, not as a volunteer, uh, I jumped at the chance. Oh, that's awesome. Can, so can I, do you mind sharing more about your son? Like how old was he when he was affected? Like what were the, do you, yeah, was there... yeah. No, he's not one of those cases where he got the shot and immediately had 105 fever and high pit dream. His, his case is different. His was more um, sort of gradual. In retrospect, he was a first child for me. So I didn't see all the signs in the way I would have if I'd had a child developing normally. So right. You know, in retrospect, I see that he was developing some sensitivities. He was developing some repetitive behaviors. His language a little bit slow, but there were different ways that I could rationalize that to myself. And the doctors didn't pick up on anything. They And I we had actually some pretty good pediatricians. But then fortunately, a little bit late in the schedule, he got the MMR and measles, mumps, rubella. And now in retrospect, you know, he'd been getting all these thimerosal containing shots, mercury containing shots, preservatives. And, you know, so his immune system was probably already pretty, pretty impaired. And then he got three viral live viruses in his vaccine and he basically fell off a cliff. He didn't have an immediate, immediate reaction, but he over the course of a couple of months lost his language, lost his sleep, started doing all the repetitive things like, you know, fans and whirly gigs and and then started splinter skills. Like when he did have a little bit of language, it was like, you know, to recite a book of 60 pages by heart. I mean, <laughs> really, really, you know, he was on the what would be called autism spectrum disorder for sure. And fortunately, I learned about Defeat Autism Now very quickly after, you know, very quickly after he regressed and started doing biomedical protocols to help him. And I found Dan doctors and he's substantially recovered, but not completely. You know, his his life, my life, all of all of our family's lives have been completely changed by that experience. And and in today's world, Didi, on some level, I feel like we were the lucky ones because 
look at all the devastation and death from the COVID shots. And we were never going to go need COVID shots. I know. I know. And that, so how old was he when he got the MMR? He was two and a half. He was a, a oh. little one was recommended, which is probably a thing in disguise, but he fell off the cliff at that point. Okay. So he was really young. Um, because that's what I always, you know, I'm fascinated by a lot of times, like for my son, it was when he was older that all of the, you know, the more of the damage and things that took place. Um, so I'm always curious, like when, and and we have so many people who watch ours, I mean, all of you, all of CHGTV, but especially with our show, we have uh, um, a lot of people who watch and want to know, like, when did you notice it? And how did you notice it? And like you said, it was the first child. And we do. Not every child develops normally. Not every child has a fever reaction. But like with Dr. Paul's research, and it sounds like a lot of what you've done too, is that it it's health. And that's why I love when I heard about Children's Health Defense. I'm like, wow, I that's the whole point is that we're trying to help have a healthy society. How do you do that? That's why I work with children is preventative. So do and you you mentioned you have other children? I don't have other children. No, I, I just have one child and he's now not a child. He's a man, but, <laughs> but he's doing well and, and I'm grateful for that. But, you know, the uh, injuries are lifelong. I mean, his injuries are lifelong injuries. Yeah, there are. And I have just one too. I'm not a multitasker. People are like, why don't you have more children? Oh, don't ask. Um, so in your work, what do you find the most rewarding for you? Well, I always find it rewarding, Didi, when people have avoided harming their children. You know, when I hear parents who say, I read one of your books or I learned, you know, what you said and I decided not to vaccinate my children. I always see that as a triumph, really. That's, you know, that's one child who was spared any possibility of the severe injuries that are possible. I also find it really rewarding as a lawyer. We won some important victories. We had a, the minor consent law turned around. You know, we, we got an injunction. We've seen the mandates drop because of litigation. Um, we've got important litigation going on right now related to censorship. So that's exciting. Just seeing, you know, I've been in this movement for over 20 years. So to see we had a conference, as you know, over a thousand people were there. We have millions of people who watch CHDTV, who read our daily newsletter, Defender. I have the satisfaction. I, we have friends o- around the world. We have a chapter in Africa. We have a chapter in Europe. We have a chapter in Latin America. We have a chapter in Australia. We are part of a global, powerful movement that's gaining steam. Wow. I didn't realize it was all over the world. I knew it was some. But yeah. so how many chapters would you say there are in general? Do you have a count? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm not the, up to the minute. We're, we're forming new chapters. We have chapters in about 20 odd U.S. states and we have groups that we work with, health freedom groups in other states. Uh, and as I say, we have chapters in other continents. So we're about 30 altogether. But we, um, you know, these different groups do different things depending on what the issues are in their territory or in their state. Uh, but really, there's just fantastic grassroots action going on around the world. It is. Do you think, how do you feel? Because this was going on before COVID. What do you feel was the biggest yeah. impact with COVID? Like, how did how did it affect children's health defense? The pandemic, the oh, lockdown. Well, I mean, the pandemic, uh, the lockdowns, the masks, the shots, the testing, 
it woke up a lot of people that there's clearly a coordinated global campaign going on that relates to control of populations through the vector of health, right? So essentially our constitution was suspended. Churches were shut down. (laughs) Around the world, constitutions and, and fundamental rights were suspended. Economies basically stopped. So I think all of those things brought people to Children's Health Defense. I think, you know, the the vaccines, we still haven't seen the end of the damage from these shots. Um, I think the masks were incredibly harmful, especially to young children and to people with special needs who have sensory issues. Uh, And I think the lockdowns killed people. I mean, the lockdowns clearly caused, you know, millions of children to move into poverty. Girls were sold off in marriage at very young ages. I mean, the the, pan, the pandemic was a disaster. And the notion that we should now put the World Health Organization, which declared the pandemic, in charge of global health is absolutely, literally insane, Didi. It is insane. And one of the things that we must do is to stop that from happening. And 2024, the first half of the year, there will be a lot of efforts to have the World Health Organization literally become the, 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 the sort of the centerpiece of a kind of a new world order. I know it really hurts my soul. Um, I pray on it all the time, but it's just, I mean, even hearing it when you say it, <clears throat> I get deeply disturbed because when I think about all the children, like you said, how the pandemic affected them in itself. And I work in pediatrics and I'm working with these children who've been affected by it in so many different ways. And we had some suicide in our area and I work with those families. And I just, when I think about that, I don't understand why nobody's like catching on to that and how that's even become a thing. And so my question for you is how, I know what I'm going to do to, you know, to make the changes and help, but what do you say to somebody else who's hearing this? What do you say to them about what what can they do? What do we have to do as a collective? But what can people do individually? Right. There are so many things, Didi. First step, of course, is awareness. The first step is to realize that we're not in the world. Certainly, I'm, I realize now I'm not in the world I thought I was in. I, I, I thought I was in a very different world than I'm really in. Um, I really do believe that um, we're looking at a kind of global... Um, takeover of governments for the people by corporations. And this is really all for money and it's really for the corporations and people are not high on the list, right? These are corporate interests to make money and to control people, to subjugate people, to um, to make people more malleable so that they can be easily controlled. So there's lots of things to do. One is to be aware. So sign up for the free Defender, watch CHDTV, Sign up for your local CHD chapter in your state. If you go onto our website, you can find the chapters in the left-hand hamburger menu. Uh, If you don't have a CHD chapter, join a different health freedom group. Use that uh, National Vaccine Information Center portal. Uh, You can find out about what are the bills in your state uh, or, you know, find out about what's going on in your country. Get active. Join other people. Um, uh, in your personal life, there are, you know, use cash is one of the things that Catherine Austin Fitz, who's on our shows Thursday mornings, tells us use cash. It's anonymous. Um, you may, you know, if you in your pension account or in any way, if you're invested in pharma, get out of pharma. They're not our friends. 
Uh, we don't want to be investing in Pfizer, but probably, you know, the Fortune 500, the S&P 500 is going to have five. So if you don't want to be building the prison, as um, Catherine Austin Fitz would say, you know, make sure you're getting out of those investments. Those are some of the things, Didi, that people can do. Also, think about, sorry, mm-hmm. but oh, we, we this, there was a local election here, but next November, you know, is another election for state and federal officials. Vote for people that you believe are going to support your rights, especially your rights to health freedom. Don't, you know, go to local school board meetings, go to local county official meetings, stand up against this tide of tyranny. Right. And I always tell, like when I talk to some moms that just say they're very fearful <clears throat> of talking to others or sharing or whatever. And I said, the bare, the bare minimum should be stand up for yourself and your child. Just choose not to comply. So after we spoke and did our two-month two, two visit, we came out. As soon as we walked out the doors, this woman followed us out and she said, well, the easiest way to do what you did, to sum up what you did, is just when you go to the doctor, just say no thank you and keep saying no thank you and no thank you. What I explained to her and the reason I don't coach that way is, yes, that's how you sound up for yourself. You just say no thank you and you're welcome to walk out the door. Where I find that to be an issue is for someone who is weak. And that's why I say bring somebody with you and make sure that person's on board with your decisions. That's also important, which I didn't point out. That person's on board with you. Then when they tell you, you know, well, this is what you need to do your child and you say, no, thank you. Doctors are mean. And again, I'm, they're supposed to do no harm, but I don't always know that they feel like they're doing harm. And so they'll push and the greater good and the money and whatever it is that they try and use. Just by saying no, thank you, I don't believe that changes anything and that puts you on defense. And so for me, I always say, you know, learn everything and do everything. And when you make your decision, stand behind your decision, say, this is why I'm choosing not to vaccinate. Not just no, thank you, but I don't think we're going to change pediatricians or people around us if we just say, oh, no, thank you and walk away. Do you kind of feel the same way? Well, a couple of things. I, I really liked your idea of bringing somebody who's aligned with you to a pediatric office. It's too easy for a mom to be intimidated by somebody in a white coat. It's just tragic, but it's real. And we see that all the time. So I love the idea of if you have to go to a doctor's office and avoiding it altogether is another strategy. Go to a pediatrician who's open to your viewpoint. You don't want to go to somebody who's a doctor Uh, who you're not aligned with. So you want to, first of all, find pediatricians that are open to not vaccinating. But should you have to go for some reason to someone who's not on your team, uh, go with somebody else. I also just recently edited a book called Turtles All the Way Down, Vaccine Science and Myth. This is a great book um, that has questions for your doctors. And I would encourage you to buy a copy. It's actually self-published on Amazon, but buy a copy and give it to your pediatrician. Or, you know, open the questions for your doctor and ask your doctor all those questions. The doctor can't answer your questions, doesn't want to deal with you, and will kick you out of the practice. And then you'll find a better pediatrician or nurse practitioner or naturopath or whatever you can do in your state. But um, you don't want to go to a doctor that you believe is bullying you. That's just a bad idea. Yep. and. 
And for many, many reasons, I feel like, and that's what we try and show in that visit is that if they're not willing to listen or respect where you are, um, and we included in this last one, I've been called just a mom and I actually embrace that because I have, I believe that has power. People are like, you're not just a mom. No, I am. And what just a mom means is that I am fully on board with making sure that my child gets the best care. I didn't do it before. But I'm damn well going to do it now. And I'm for sure going to make sure that other parents at least have what they need to do that. And I believe that's what you and CHD does with the standing up to people and the. Yeah, we don't need, you know, we don't need fancy degrees and we don't need somebody else's, you know, stamp of approval. Um, I, I say, you know, we're animals and as animals, we're, we're mammals. We're kind of failing our young, right? The job of especially mothers in the animal kingdom is to fiercely protect their young. And we are not protecting young people against what are toxic injections. And the science now is so clear. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and Brian Hooker just came out with the book Vaxxed Unvaxxed. Turtles All the Way Down is truly a really helpful book. Um, it's pretty clear, you know, these, these, ex- I just read a story today, Didi, of a baby that, you know, a toddler that went to her 15 month visit and two days after getting three shots, she's dead. You know, these are not harmless exposures. Uh, and they're, you know, the, the, the media, the health establishment, sadly, they lie to people. Mm-hmm. They, these are very toxic exposures. Some people do fine. You know, some people can smoke two packs a day for 70 years and be fine. Other people die at 50 of lung cancer. You know, some kids will get autism. Some kids will become paraplegic. Some kids will get ADD. Some kids will have depression. Some kids will have other complications, autoimmune disorder. Some kids will get asthma. And um, some kids will do fine. But not many. More than half of American children have some kind of chronic health condition be it obesity, asthma, allergies, ADD, ADHD, autism, or cancer. So clearly these products are not helping overall public health, which is what they're designed to do. So, you know, that's what, that's the thought process, right? Because when somebody calls me an anti-vaxxer, I'm like, no, I'm pro-health. Give me a shot that's going to protect me, but not harm me. I'm all in. Yeah, but they don't have those, unfortunately. They, they no, you know, never they have side effects and they're so severe that the industry in 1986 had to get indemnity from the government, the National Vaccine Information, the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Act, yep. sorry, Act, NVIA, um, which basically indemnified industry. And then it became a gold rush, right? Then there was lots of money in it and there was no liability cost and you can mandate the products. There's nothing like being able to mandate your widget your market (laughs) liability. I mean, that's what this is. It's an incredible scheme that violates every notion of markets. It violates every notion of, you know, responsibility. It's insane, right? Toxic products that are mandated on children. That's what this is about. And it's crazy. And it's going to stop. Didi, we're getting very close to the tipping point here. 24, I just saw a poll from Rasmussen from early November. 24% of Americans believe they know somebody who died from a COVID shot. People are wise. We've never the level of legislation trying to protect people to make their own choices. Um, More and more people are trying to opt out of routine childhood vaccinations. The science is really clear at this point, Didi. The science, I mean, is getting clearer every day. 
science is really clear. This, there's they, These products were inadequately tested and they have a huge array of side effects. Well, and it's it's very sad. You know, I, I feel like it's a bitter, the COVID shot's a bittersweet thing in reality of it's very sad what it's doing. And my own family, I still just, I, I can't even talk about it without bawling. But just the buy-in, knowing and sharing and their own friends. My, I have my aunts all in this older group of women and two of them have already died of cancer. One of them died just recently of, you know, and it was all within a couple of weeks of the COVID shot and the woman is still getting boosters. So my, I just, it's a struggle on that end. But you just mentioned what, did you say it? There was a study, Rasmussen? There, there was a poll, there's a polling organization called Rasmussen Polls. And they just did a poll early this month, November, of how many, do you think that you know anybody who died of a COVID vaccine? 24% of Americans say, yes, they do. And what's really impressive is that that number is about the same for Democrats and Republicans. There was a lot of differences between Democrats and Republicans about all the COVID measures. There's now a difference between Democrats and Republicans in recognizing that they believe somebody was, you know, died from their exposure to a vaccine. The whole idea of a vaccine is supposed to protect you from death, DT. And we know that, you know, COVID was not as severe as predicted to be. So the notion that people are dying from these vaccines it's horrific. It's just horrific. You and know, see, so yeah, I think that's the thing. The fear mongering is it's setting it over. Can you just in a legal aspect share your opinion and the importance of VAERS? But when I was bringing up VAERS to one of my friends, she's like, oh, that's just false reporting. So what do you say to somebody like that that says that? Oh, people just go on and claim stuff. Ah, so two things, you know, the vaccine adverse event reporting system was created by statute, by law in the 1986 National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act. It was required because if you take away litigation uh, as a way to impose liability, we have to have some way to find out if these products work or not. And then there were supposed to be reports to Congress to make vaccines safer. They've never been made safer. They've only gotten more dangerous over time. Um, but the truth is, is that theirs um, is only probably catching 1% of adverse events. How do we know that? Because the Centers for Disease Control itself in 2010 commissioned a study by a gentleman named, I believe, Solomon. And he was working for the Harvard Pilgrim Health Association, and he, they were doing machine learning. And so they looked in a large health maintenance organization at who was vaccinated and then when did they come back to the health service and what did they come back for? What they found at Didi was that it's a staggering number. It's about two and a half percent. So a really high percentage of people get adverse events from vaccines. And when the CDC found that out in 2010, they literally didn't pick up the phone anymore. So they don't know. Um, but it, it, we do have and the vSAFE data. So in COVID, the government promised us that they would be rigorous and they would be tracking all injuries. And they created an app called the vSAFE, Vaccine Safe app. And um, Aaron Siri, an attorney for ICANN, had to FOIA, Freedom of Information Act, ask for the information. And when that was exposed, it showed that there was over a 10% injury rate. These are unacceptable injury rates. And they, you have every, the VAERS data is the government's data. The VSAFE data is the government's data. If anything, it's underreported. Um, so 
And can we change that? Because like Dr. Paul said, not every, but not most doctors don't even know how to use it. They're not even reporting it. Well, I didn't even know about it until COVID. Um, I wish that I thought that were true, Didi. I think that what we've heard a lot during the pandemic is that people were in hospitals told not to report. So there's lots of disincentives to report it. First of all, it takes time. Time is money. Second of all, uh, the hospitals are the ones who are giving the shots. They don't really want to have a high injury rate from their hospitals. But all you have to do is look at the VAERS. It's open. And the, the easiest way to find VAERS is there's a, a link called Med Alerts, like medical alerts, M-E-D, medalerts.org. And go to that and you can look at it yourself. And there's just a staggering number of um, injury and death reports. And uh, we've just got to stop this. And the good news is, Didi, is that people aren't going to get the boosters. The good news is it's about 2 to 3% of people who are getting the COVID boosters. They're still pushing them, but people aren't taking them. People are wising up and we have to be really happy about that. And we have to take some credit for that. That's because of the work we've done because the government and the media have been pushing the same narrative since 2019. And I think that's the other part that I find so insane is that they know that there's harm. So, okay, fine, don't take them off the market. But to bribe people to do it, to tell kids that they can't go to college or go to classes or do things if they aren't vaccinated, to childhood schedule, putting it on for a six-month-old, that's criminal. I mean, truly, Didi, this is criminal stuff. You know, this, this is criminal stuff. There's no... You know, these most recent boosters were never even tested in children. They are literally expecting people to basically sign up as lab rats. And kudos to the people who say, no, I'm not a lab rat. Right. I think that's the most important thing. And I wish, like when we go to the conferences and things, I tell, I told Dr. Paul, I feel like we're preaching to the choir. And that's why I feel like our part when we talk is the communication piece and sharing with other people. You're the people that are hearing it, knowing it, and have experienced the damage. So this is how you talk to other people, because the only way that most people in society are going to get the information is if one of us is willing to share and talk and make ourselves vulnerable. And do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, this is the question, Didi. How do we reach people? It's not easy. You know, the advice that um, Robert Kennedy always gives, and I think it's the right advice, is, is not to preach, not to try to educate people, is to ask questions. You know, why do you think that? What makes you think that? Who did you hear that from? You know, it's it's getting them to open their own minds. Oh, gee, I heard that from the CDC. Well, how did that work out last time? You know, you know, oh, you heard it from the WHO. Well, aren't they the ones that sort of had to backtrack? And, you know, have you heard about, you know, anyway, it's asking questions to open people's minds. And it's, you, you can't change somebody's mind in one conversation. That's rare. Um, it takes time. Yeah. You know, it takes time. But we're all working at that, Didi, and recognize that we are all being censored, right? In in social media, in print media, in broadcast media, anybody who is going against the government narrative. And the government narrative, let's not forget, is you know, the unvaccinated are the ones who are the problem. You know, they're going to get sick and die. That's not the reality, but that's the narrative. So. I know. And so, and I know you saw our presentation. That's one of the first things that on my dues list and when I coach families is to ask questions. And I think the other thing that I tell people is that every person, even those that are, that are asleep and following the CDC or what the government says, everyone 
have something inside of themselves that want to help other people. We're helpers. So when I'm talking to somebody, I'll always ask, can you help me understand why? So it's the question, but if I ask them for help, you know, help me, can I, you know, if I say help me with something, it seems like then people, you know, especially men, they want to help. They want to be the the fixers, the, the, you know, let me tell you what's right. They want to help. And I think that's when people start to question their, their selves is when they're trying to help you understand and they realize they don't even understand. So that's one of the things I share anyway, who knows if it works, but so what do you see in the next year? What do you see for everybody? Well, um, I'm already looking a lot towards 2024. 2024 is, I mean, we've got, you know, two wars going on in the world right now. Um, we've got a lot of really frail leadership globally. Um, 2024, we've got elections in this country. We've got elections in Russia. We've got elections in China. Uh, there's a lot that's likely to happen in Europe. They've just basically embraced the digital ID for the European Union uh, this past week. So there's a lot that's going on. I do think people have to be prepared that there could be some new crisis in the world. And being mentally prepared for that, I do believe, makes a big difference. So I do think we're going to have a rough year, to be honest with you, Didi. I don't think 2024 is going to be smooth. I think it's going to be a rough year. But I think um, we've got some really fantastic uh, institutions and groups and people, and we can strengthen one another. I can't uh, overstate how important it is to find your tribe, to, to make friends in the health freedom movement if this matters to you. And if you want to keep your kids unvaccinated, it makes a huge difference to have people to support you in that and to reinforce in you why you come to that conclusion. So reach out. Um, you know, it, it, I do a, a, a show with Polly Tommy each week, you know, pray big, uh, don't settle, um, you know, never settle, uh, you know, just um, stay strong, stand firm, stand firm, don't settle, never settle. I guess she says, stand firm, never settle, pray big. That's that's what we do. And lead with love. I always tell people that it's like, no matter how much you're against something, if you lead with love it seems to be the most powerful weapon that we have so i I do my best to share that so a question i love asking everybody whenever i do the interview is if you could go back (laughs) say 30 years or actually back like even before you made a decision to be a lawyer would you do anything differently yeah you know knowing what you know now would you want to be a doctor no, definitely not. No, I consider being a doctor and I'm so grateful because I would be like, I think I would be in the shoes of a, you know, I, I, I can't really think about going back to I mean, I wouldn't undo. I, I love my life. I love what I'm doing. I think what I'm doing is meaningful, but you know, like everybody else, my son has suffered terribly. I've suffered. Um, that's part of the human condition. I don't think I would go back and do anything differently. Um, you know, and I'm not quite sure what the future holds, but but I look forward to continuing to live the life I've lived. I mean, I look back and I think that a lot of the experiences that I've had very much contribute to who I am and what I'm doing today. Right. And 
I have to tell you how much I love that, Mary, because that's one of the things, again, when I'm coaching parents to make the decision and moms have so much guilt and people have asked me the same thing. Would you would you have stood your ground firmer with your son when it came time to make decisions and things? Or would you, you know, if you knew what you knew now, would of course she wouldn't vaccinate if you knew that. But I think one of the things that I admire you so much is that you have taken what's happened to you and you're living in the way that um, you're living in a way that it's happened for you. What you've gone through, and I think that's the, you know, I always try and tell people things happen to us, but we can choose to see them that they happened for us. And you're doing so much with what happened for you. And you're sharing and the way you do it is so beautiful and respectful. And um, again, I know I overwhelmed you when I met you, but it's really important to have for me, especially to have people that I can look up to and see what you're doing um, and how you're doing it. And I don't know, maybe you get told all the time how great what you're doing is and the difference it's made. But if you don't, then I'm here to tell you that. So I hope you never stop. And if you ever need a cheerleader, I am your girl. I am right there with you. I will follow you around. Hire me and I'll be your assistant because what you're doing is so powerful. So Thank you for joining. Do you have any closing messages you'd like to share with everybody out there? I I just, you know, I know that many parents struggle with guilt. Um, I don't, Didi. I didn't know better. And I did the best that I could at that moment. And guilt is not a constructive emotion in this. It's just not constructive. So is you? I just want to, if anybody feels guilty, like, you know, I should have known better. You didn't know better. You were lied to. You were lied to every day by people in authority. You didn't have reason to know better, but now you do. And so there's really, I get like the, the guilt and the, the sadness, but, um, both of those are emotions that really you can channel, um, to the change that you want to see so that this really does never happen to another child. And we haven't succeeded in that. But we are gaining. We are gaining. We, if I look back over 20 years, I'm like, gosh, Didi, the, the scale of where we are now in our movement is just extraordinary. People are just not taking the boosters. They're not taking their kids. We've got bills in every state in the country, over 700 positive bills for more choice when it comes to vaccines. There was not a single COVID mandate in a public school ever, despite three years of effort. There was not a single new mandate passed in any state in 2023. <clears throat> we are making a difference. And you can take your personal tragedy and your sorrow. And I don't mean to, uh, I don't mean to underestimate the tragedy of all this and the, the horror and the sorrow. But when you're ready, and it's only when you're ready, when you're ready, there are lots of us who would benefit from you participating and helping us to get over the finish line. And that is to end any medical coercion. It's absolutely unethical and it should be unlawful. And I agree with that. Something that we always try and say, like if somebody does the guilt thing, is that when you know better, you do better. And I think that's what we're all learning. Everything you just said is to that note that when we know better, we do better. The other thing is my when my son was 16 years old and I was going through everything due to the hep B shot at 12, I remember falling on the floor and crying with guilt. And he walked up to me and he looks down and he goes, what are you doing? I can't even use the explicatives that he said to me at the time. But he, I said, I just feel so guilty. 
I did this to you. And he looked at me and he actually popped me upside the head and goes, the vaccine did this to me. You didn't do this to me and you didn't know. And I always tell parents that whenever we're talking is that we have, don't you think we have to put the people, hold the people accountable who are doing it? And it's not parents. If you don't know, how were you supposed to do any better? There are people, and and as you know, Didi, not every physician knows they should, but not every physician really understands how um, toxic these shots are. They were taught that they're safe and effective. So yes, there are people who are culpable and they need to be held accountable, but many people are just doing the best they know how to do. And uh, that's how a system works. It does. So thank you so much. I could talk to you forever. I'm going to have to come and visit you and just sit in your living room and ask a million questions. Um, Thank you for joining me and thank you for everything that you do. And very much appreciated. Thank you. I really enjoyed my interview today with Mary Holland. I got to meet her at the conference that we talked about during our interview in Savannah. And the importance of those conferences, like she mentioned, is being able to be around people who are like-minded, but also very diverse. There were doctors, there were lawyers, there were parents, there were people who were questioning things, there were people who were supporting things. So many different people talking about so many different things that are very important to our children's health and our well-being for medical freedom. So in the interview when we talk, one of the things that I realized was how involved people like Mary Holland are in CHD TV and in their program. It's it's international and it's so exciting. And I, a lot of people ask me, how do I get involved? How do I do what Mary Holland's doing? I wanna speak up, I wanna talk more, I wanna ask more questions. Conferences like the one at CHD are everywhere. There's all kinds of opportunities. Most states have medical freedom groups. Most states have conferences, a lot of different programs. And here on our show, we'll put up some of those sites and links so that you can go and check them out. Find something near you. You can always reach out to us at our show and ask more questions and we'll always do our best to link you to opportunities in your area. But the biggest thing is knowing that you're not alone. And that's something that's really important is that there are ways to get involved. There's ways to show your support, but there's also ways to learn more. The thing that I enjoyed the most talking about Mary, talking with Mary Holland was her passion for what she does and that she hasn't given up. And most of these people like her have their own stories about their own children who have been affected by vaccines. I know so many people with COVID that have lost their lives due to the vaccine. When they're in that world, it's hard. It's hard to stay on top of it. It's hard to stay positive and integrated into what they're doing, but she does and she does it fantastically. Being at the CHD conference in Savannah this last year in November was really important to me and it showed me a lot. Dr. Paul and I speak at these conferences and being able to do so and share with other people what we know, share the things we've learned, it's really important. And I also want to say thank you for watching our show. Thank you for sharing our show. We got to watch 
what we did at the conference on a CHD TV episode that just recently aired. And it was incredible. We'll also put the link up for that. When you see what we do and how we talk and why it's important to stand up for what you believe in, I think it makes it a little easier for us to go, yeah, I can do that. I can join in, I can speak, I can start a mom's group, I can start something in my community. Don't ever worry about stepping up and stepping out. Sometimes standing up for yourself and standing up for others, sometimes it means standing alone. And that's okay, because you're never really alone. Thanks for watching. Hey everybody, it's me, Didi, coming to you from my soul. Today I wanna share how I feel about connection, spiritual connection to be exact. So when we talk to people and we interact with people, we have, sometimes we're emotional, sometimes it's educational, sometimes it's just hanging out with friends. But no matter what, whoever we're with, whatever we're doing, there's a way we connect to each other. The way we bond, the way we interact. Spiritually, that's when we're interacting, being, talking from a place from love. So for me, spiritual connection is really taking a deep breath sometimes and listening to the other person, not waiting to speak, not waiting to just tell them how you feel, but really listening, seeing how is it that they feel. And being spiritually connected in, for me means that I really take the time to look inside of myself and see how I'm feeling. What can I offer? How can I be the most loving person that I can? That to me is being spiritually connected. Thanks for watching. I look forward to running together with the wind at our backs, revealing the science that gives clarity in our world that's full of propaganda and misinformation. Visit our website, doctorsandscience.com. Sign up, donate if you can. Your support makes a difference. And let's make this the weekly show the world has been waiting for. Thanks for watching, I'm Dr. Paul.